And so, dear Holy Sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You don't have to be a theologian, a sociologist, or a political scientist to look at our nation and realize something is wrong. Our nation is broken. We're more divided than we have ever been. I turn on the news and I get depressed. I click on social media and I get disturbed. Hate speech and hateful behavior is found everywhere we turn. Some people blame it on certain politicians, and though there are politicians on both sides of the aisle that spew hatred, I want you to know that our problem isn't with politicians. There are other people that say our problem is racial and social injustice, and and though we have racial and social injustice in our nation and we need to do something about that, that's not the problem in our nation. You see, the Bible addresses our problem, and the Bible says the root of all of our problems is this thing called sin. We are sinners, and we not only need a Savior, we need someone who can come into our life and transform us and make us brand new. And that's what this section of Romans is all about as we focus on this last section beginning in chapter 12. It's about God transforming us through the power of his Holy Spirit so that then he can use us to transform the sinful world in which we live. You see, you and I on our own will never be able to transform the world Politics cannot transform society. Social change cannot transform society. The only thing that can change society is an encounter with the living God. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Then in verses 1 and 2, Paul tells us how and why we need to discover God's will. Uh, The how is... We completely surrender our lives to him. We make the willful decision to not conform to the world. And then we allow his spirit to transform us. And when that happens, we discover God's will. His good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. In verse 3, Paul begins to talk about spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. And he tells us that each of us who are Christ followers, each of us who have been changed by the power of his spirit, have at least one spiritual gift. And we are to use that spiritual gift or those spiritual gifts to build up the body and serve our Lord. But when we get to verse 9, Paul begins to get very practical. 
And he begins to show us how to live, transform lives in a sin-filled world. And in these verses, Paul gives us seven things that we need to do if we're going to be living transformative lives. So if you have your Bibles open, I want you to follow along as we begin reading in verse 9. Listen to what God says. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Now, the first thing Paul tells us that we need to do if we want to live a transformed life is we need to love well. He tells us that in verses 9 and 10. In these two verses, Paul uses three different words for love. Now, and it shouldn't surprise any of us who are here that the first thing Paul tells us to do if we want to live transformative lives is to love well because love is the foundation of the Christian life. The very first fruit of the Spirit is love. Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and, and on and on. When Paul was talking about, about love, he said these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of all is love. You see, love is the foundation upon what, which we build. Fifty times in the New Testament, we are commanded to love. We're to love God. We're to love our neighbor. We're to love our family, and we are even to love our enemies. Jesus said this in John 13. He said, this is how the world will know that you are my disciple, by the love that you have for one another. You see, this love is a big deal. But notice how he begins this in verse 9. He said, don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. That word pretend is the word from which we get our word hypocrisy from. It was a word used to describe actors who wore masks in a play. You see, in Greek plays, one actor would oftentimes portray up to four or five characters. And what they would do is they would have different masks that they would put on to portray those different characters. And so what Paul is saying here is when it comes to love, don't wear a mask. Don't just 
act like you love someone, really love them, show it, prove it, don't just say it. I'm convinced that there's a lot of pretending going on when it comes to love. There are a lot of people in in the political circles of our nation that that try to get us to believe that they love certain people. But I got to tell you, a lot of them are just pretending. And there are even people in the church, people who claim to be followers of Christ that say they love everyone. But the truth, the reality is, there are some people that they don't really love. We don't just pretend that we love. We don't just act like we love. We really love. Now, Paul says something in this next phrase that that seems kind of out of place. He says, hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Now, throughout the Bible, we're told to hate what is wrong. There are some who say Christians shouldn't hate anything. But the Bible teaches us that you and I are to hate the things that God hates. And the Bible says that God hates evil. And so you and I should hate evil. But that's not what this is talking about here. This is in the context of love. So what is Paul trying to say? I believe what he is saying is this. We need to hate sin. We need to hate the bad things that people do. But we don't hate them. Instead, we always look for the good in them. This is in no way condoning wrong actions. It's in no way condoning wrong behavior. And love certainly doesn't ignore wrong. Love compels us to speak to wrong. But we need to understand that whenever we confront wrong, whenever we speak to wrong, we speak the truth in Love. We always speak in love. We always act in love. Everything we do is in love. I'm sure you've heard this expression. We are to love the sinner, but we hate the sin. And I believe that's what Paul was saying here. We hate the sin. We hate the, the horrible things that it does to people's lives. We, we hate how it puts them in bondage. We hate the shame it brings. But we love the person that is caught up in the sin. And I've got to be honest with you. That's sometimes difficult to do, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest, I think we would admit that it's hard to differentiate between the sinful things that people do and the sinful people. And yet the Bible says if we're going to love the way God loves, the kind of love he wants us to show to the world, the kind of love that's going to transform the world, that's how we have to love. We hate the bad things that people do because of the horrible things it does to them. But we love them. And then Paul goes on and he says this in verse 10. He says, love each other with genuine affection. There are two Greek words there for love. There's the Greek word storge and the Greek word philia. The first word Paul uses in verse 9 is agape, God love. We're to love like God. But these two words describe family love. We're to love other people The way we love our very own family. Now I don't know about you, but I love my family unconditionally. There are times that my family aggravate me. There are times that my family get on my nerves. 
There are times that we fuss and fight and feud in my family. But we never turn our backs on one another because we're family and our love for one another is unconditional. We love in thick and thin. Our fusses, our feuds, our fights, those things do not negate the fact that we're going to be there when our family needs us. And that's what Paul is saying here. We love people in the world that way. And then Paul says something that's absolutely mind-blowing. He says, delight in honoring each other. Literally, what this means is honor other people above yourself. Now, can I tell you, that's next to impossible to do on your own. I mean, because we're selfish people. I mean, who of us wants to honor somebody else above ourselves? Who of us wants to meet other people's needs more than our needs? And yet, that's what the Bible says we're called to do. We're called to put the needs of other people above our very own needs. Now, here's what I can tell you. There's no way that you can do that on a consistent basis apart from the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You can't love that way consistently. But when the Holy Spirit takes hold of your life and takes over your life, you can begin to love people that way. Sacrificially, you can begin to put their needs above your own needs. Paul says if you want to live transformative lives, You've got to love well. The next thing he says is that we need to work hard. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Now, throughout the Bible, we're, we're told about laziness. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon speaks about laziness over and over. In chapter 18, he says a lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. The prophet Ezekiel said that one of the reasons that God destroyed Sodom was because of their laziness. Did you know that? I mean, we, we always focus on their sexual sin. But the Bible says that they were lazy people. But here, this is not talking about laziness in regard to our work that we have. This is talking about laziness in regard to our relationship with the Lord, serving the Lord. Paul says we should never be lazy when it comes to serving the Lord. Instead, we should be enthusiastic. Literally, what Paul is saying there is we need to be red hot. We need to be on fire. We need to be revved up, amped up when it comes to serving God. Now, let me ask you a question. What is it that gets your engine running? What is it that gets you excited? What is it that gets you motivated? Is it fishing? Baseball? Making money? Traveling? What is it that gets you amped up? Well, the Bible says nothing should excite us, nothing should motivate us, nothing should get our engine revving like serving the Lord. So let me ask you, do you get excited when it comes to serving the Lord? Are you serving the Lord with all your heart? Is this the most important thing in your life? 
Paul says when we work hard in serving the Lord, the lost world will take note. And they will see that we're living a transformed life. The third thing Paul says here is we need to live with hope. In verse 12, he says, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, keep on praying. Now, the truth is, the Bible teaches that our world is going to get a whole lot worse before it gets eternally better. You see, the Bible promises that we are going to go through a tribulation. So let me ask you a question. Are you ready? Are you ready for a tribulation? Did you know there have been more martyrs for Christ during our generation than during any other period in the history of the church? More people have died for Christ in our lifetime than at any other time in the life of the church. But the problem is, in America, most of us are insulated from that. We're isolated from that suffering, from that tribulation. We haven't experienced it. Some of us say, man, I'm suffering for Jesus because someone gave us the bird or cussed us out. Man, that's nothing. People are being thrown in jail. People are losing their lives for Christ. And I want you to know, hear me, the tide is turning in America. You better get ready. You better be prepared. Suffering is coming to Christians in America. God may give us a reprieve and we may experience a momentary revival before it comes. But mark my word, suffering is coming to the church in America. And when it comes, it will reveal who is truly a part of the church and who is not. Paul said that when we face tribulation, when we face suffering, we don't tremble in fear. We rejoice in our hope. We don't give up and hide. We persevere. We stand firm. We don't complain. We don't whine. We trust and we pray. Remember, this world is not our home. We weren't created to live in this sinful world forever. God made us for something better than this. And remember, Jesus promised us in this world, you will face suffering. It's going to come. But we can take heart. Because of Jesus, we have overcome the world. And so when suffering comes, when trouble comes your way, how do you face it? When it comes your way, how are you going to face it? Because I've got to tell you, the way you face hardships and suffering and pain and tribulation will be a testimony to a lost world about a God who gives us something else other than this world. We live with hope. The fourth thing Paul says we do if we're going to live transformative lives is we practice generosity. He says in verse 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Now, there are two ways that we practice generosity here. 
The first one Paul talks about is living with open hands. When we see a need, we who have the ability to meet that need, meet that need. We live with open hands. We don't live with closed fists. I'm afraid that many of us who who claim to be Christ followers live with closed fists. We say things like, I worked hard for my money. I want you to listen. It's not your money. It's his money. It's his things. And he has entrusted them to your care, both to enjoy and to use for his glory as you help other people. And so you don't hold tightly to what you have. You live with open hands recognizing that when there are needs and you have the ability to meet those needs, you step in and you meet those needs. But he says we not only live with open hands, we live with open homes. He says practice hospitality. Literally in the Greek, it means pursue hospitality. Now that meant something different in in Paul's day than it does today. In Paul's day, when people traveled, when people moved from place to place, there weren't hotels and motels like there are today. They didn't have Marriott's and Holiday Inn's and Hyatt's and Hilton's. They didn't have all of those things. And so when Christians went from place to place, if they weren't going to live on the street, if they weren't going to sleep out under the stars, they were going to be invited into the home of someone else. And so hospitality was a big deal. And so Christians would oftentimes open their homes up to people they did not know so that people would have a roof over their head. Now, we may not need to do that as much today as they did in Jesus' day, but we still need to pursue hospitality. And if I'm going to be honest with you, man, I really, I'm, I'm awful at this one. I really am. I mean, I see my home as my retreat. You know, it's the place that I go to get away from the world. And I don't want a lot of people coming into my house. As long as I've got my wife and my grandcat that we had to adopt, I'm happy. So I'm not one of those people that just naturally want to just have people over at my house all the time. But the Bible says that when I act that way, I'm acting like a sinner. Because Christians are to live hospitable lives. The author of Hebrews even said, when we invite strangers into our home, we may even be entertaining angels unaware. Did you get that? I mean, sometimes when we invite people into our homes and we're hospitable with people, it may not be flesh and blood people. It may be an angel that we don't even know we've invited into our home. And again, we may not need to open our home for people to spend the night as much as they did in in Paul's day and Jesus' day. But we can open our home up for Bible studies. We can open our home up for fellowships. When all of this coronavirus thing gets over and we can get back to life 
that's somewhat normal and we can begin having people over all the time. I mean, we're going to be having disciple nouns for our students and our students are going to have homes that they need to stay in as they're studying the Word and things like that. And you can open up your house for that. I mean, that's practicing hospitality, generosity. And so how are you doing in that area? The fifth thing Paul says is we need to show empathy. Listen to verses 14 and 15. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Have you ever heard that expression, hurt people hurt people? Have you heard that? What that means is most often the people that are hurtful, that are spiteful, that are mean, they're hurting people. And they hurt people because they're hurting. And what we oftentimes do is when someone hurts us, we want to hurt them back. But what Paul says here is that's not how we live if we've been transformed. Instead of getting even, instead of cursing them, we bless them and we pray for them. And then Paul says we weep with those who weep. We rejoice, we laugh with those who laugh. In other words... What Paul is saying is we, we try our hardest through the power of the Holy Spirit to get into other people's skin, to feel what they feel, to experience what they experience so that we can know how to better minister to them. I mean, some of us, you know, what we do when we minister to somebody is we say, you need to get over it, you need to grow up, you need to put your big boy pants on. And, and that's totally opposite from what Paul said. Paul said, no, that's not what you do. When someone's weeping, you weep with them. Someone's rejoicing, you rejoice with them. When someone hurts you, you don't hurt them. You bless them. You get into their life. You get into their skin. You see why they are where they are. Remember when we had our study in the book of Job and we discovered what Job's friends initially did when they came into Job's life during that darkest time of his life? Remember what they did? They showed up, they sat down, and they shut up. And everything was great as long as they did that. It was when they started talking that things took a turn for the worse. You see, all too often we think that we got to come into someone's life and give them advice we got to tell them what to do. When that's not what we need to do, we just need to be there. We need to be a presence. So Paul says, if you want to be transformative, show empathy. The sixth thing he said is we need to pursue peace. Listen to verses 16 through 18. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now notice how he began that section. Live in harmony with each other. And then notice how he ended that section. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Harmony and peace. These two things are big deals when it comes to the body of Christ. The psalmist said that it's unity and peace where God bestows his favor and God bestows his blessings. If we want God's blessings upon our life and upon our church, we've got to live in peace with other people. And so we've got to do everything within our power. Some of us, 
If you're like me, your initial response isn't to pursue peace. Your initial response is to hit back. But that's not Christ-like. A Christ-like response is to pursue peace at every level. Paul says, do all that you can to live in peace. Now, there are times that you can't live in peace, aren't there? The Bible says that we should work at peace. We should do everything we can. But if there's going to be peace, both parties have to want peace. And there are sometimes that some people don't want to live in peace. So what do you do? You separate from them. You get away from them. You no longer have that relationship. There are times that you have to do that for your sanity and for the good of your emotional health. And there are those few times in life that you may have to fight. The only way to have peace is to fight. But understand that that should not be what we go to first. What we should do before anything else is pursue peace with all of our strength. And then Paul gave us one other thing. He said we refuse to get even. Notice what he said beginning in verse 19. He said, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Several years ago, there was this TV show that came out that was entitled Revenge. It was about this young woman that devised this elaborate plan to get revenge on this family whom she believed had destroyed her family. And I think that's the natural thing to do. The natural thing is when someone hurts us, when someone hurts ours, we want to get even. We want to get revenge. But Paul says never get revenge. Leave revenge to the righteous anger of God. Let God take revenge for you. Instead, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In other words, do everything you can to meet the needs of your enemy. And then he says this, when you do this, you're going to heap burning coals on their head. Now some of you are going, I like that part of it. I'd love to heap some burning coals on the heads of some people right now. But that's not what he's talking about. When he talks about heaping burning coals on their head, he's talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When we live counterculturally, when we live different than the world, it will convict the world that there's something different in us that the world doesn't have and that something different is the Lord Jesus Christ and what will happen is our living different our living counterculturally different transformed will be used by God to transform people and so what about it how are you living are you loving well are you working hard? Are you living with hope? Are you practicing generosity? Are you showing empathy? 
Are you pursuing peace? Are you refusing to seek revenge? Are you living different than the world? Because our only hope is to live different. The political process isn't going to change our nation. Social change isn't going to change our nation. We can change laws. We can change the books. But only God can change the human heart. And that's what we need. We need God to intervene in our world and change the hearts of people. And if he's going to do that, he's going to use us. And if he's going to use us, we have to be living transformative lives. We have to show that we've been transformed. And when we do, the Holy Spirit will speak to people's hearts and draw them to himself. And it's then that we can see change. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I plead with you, begin to live in a way that is different than the world. Just because the world does a certain thing doesn't mean we have to. We can respond, we can react, we can live different. When we do, God will use us. If you're here or you're listening online and you don't know Jesus, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're not going to be able to live transformed lives. You may be able to do it short term. You may be able to love well and work hard and do all of those things short term. But you're not going to be able to do it for the long haul. Apart from the Holy Spirit living in you. And so if you're here and you're listening and you haven't been changed, you haven't been saved by Jesus then I want to invite you to do that today. Would everybody just take a moment and bow your heads? With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and you're listening and you've never given your heart and life to Jesus and you're ready to do that, would you, would you pray this prayer right now? Dear Lord, I come to you today humbly acknowledging I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against you. I've broken your laws. I've lived my way. I've defied your rule. I'm sorry. Sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth and you paid for my sins on the cross. You rose from the grave defeating sin and death so I could be changed. Lord Jesus, save me. Change me. Make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come into my heart right now. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Amen.